Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Haas Talks Floss. I'm the Haas of Open Source Strategy at Percona, Matt Yakovitz. And today I've got Gabe Weiss from Google. Gabe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you, Matt? Great. I'm great. So Gabe comes to us from the developer advocacy team. He manages the team for databases at Google. Yep, that's me. So I, I like, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the Google you know, database products, specifically some Alloy DB in a bit. But I like to get to know people before uh, we, we we talk talk shop. So, sure. uh, Gabe, like, how did you come to the wild and woolly world of developer advocacy? Kicking and screaming. No, 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 no. So, uh, you know, I've I've had two careers. Um, I started off life as, as an actor, actually, is where I kind of started my professional career. Yeah, okay. it was a um, whole nine yards, went to school for it, got trained in it, and then lived in Hollywood for uh, about five years doing the movie TV thing. And somewhere in there, I've always been a computer geek, always growing up. You know, I, I had uh, a leading edge computer, one of IBM's early, you know, way back monochrome uh, monitor kind of deals. And I always tinkered. I was one of the QBasic, uh, you know, guys that did like, you know, 10, go to 20. Um, so I always tinkered. And then okay. in 2002, um, I, I was already well into my, my acting career, which means I was successful. So I wasn't like, I didn't have to work any other jobs. I was actually making a living doing it. And wow. okay, which was, which was great, right? Like I, I was like, I was making it, not really making it. It meant I didn't have to eat ramen, but um, the, there's a game that came out uh, called Neverwinter Nights. Bioware put it out in 2002. And it had a really cool hook on it, which was you could get their tools that the developers used to create their adventures and make your own adventure. And it was, I, I like, my, my little geek brain just exploded when I heard about that. So uh, I started um, cold calling the company. I cold called Bioware and said, hey, I'm hearing this game's going to come out. What are the chances that I could get, you know, an early copy of the tool set to start playing around with it and seeing if I can create cool adventures with it? And they didn't answer my calls for about a month. And finally, Tom Ole, who is the, the lead tools programmer for the tool set, um, answered, he, he picked up the call and he's like, look, if we give you a copy, will you stop calling us? And said, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I got a copy of this tool set and it was what they promised. You could absolutely get these tools and create these awesome adventures. And there was the, the catch was you could create very basic stuff, but if you wanted to create more advanced adventures, you needed to know a little bit of programming. And the, the scripting language that they did, it was a proprietary language, um, Neverwinter script, and it was based on C. It was a, an API that wrapped C. So I did what any enterprising young youth did at that stage of the game. I taught myself C uh, so that I could create these adventures. And it kind of launched from there. I, that launched my software career. So I, I did some contract work for Bioware, and then um, a, a buddy of mine said, hey, I'm working for this little company in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Why don't you come up and do an internship during the summer? Hollywood shuts down anyway. Uh, Perforce Software is a source control company. And I went and I was like, source control? That's sure. I get to be in the Bay Area. Why not? And it was supposed to be a summer internship. And I ended up working for the company for 12 years. Uh, so that launched the tech career back in 2000, 2004 is when I moved up to work for Perforce. And while I was there, even though I was an engineer, there were cases where they needed someone to go talk to companies that were trying to adopt Perforce. And we didn't call it developer advocacy at that stage of the game because we didn't know that you know, DevRel wasn't a thing yet um, back then. 
So uh, I, I was doing it though, and I was kind of teaching people how to use Perforce and you know best practices and how to set it up and what to do. And then, yeah, I, when I applied to Google many years later, uh, I came in as uh, as a partner engineer. It wasn't even DevRel, coming in as partner. And as I was interviewing, the recruiter said, you know, it doesn't sound like you're a great fit for partner engineering, but have you heard of DevRel? Because she was looking at my resume. You know, I, on my resume, you always want to have a, uh, like a hook, some kind of yeah, yeah. something, right? Sword fighting is on mine. And, you know, you've, yeah, yeah. So, and they're like, well, sword fighting, where'd that come from? Like, well, I was, you know, I've been an actor for many years. And they go, acting. Have you thought about DevRel? Like, I don't know, what's DevRel? And next wait, thing, wait. Oh, yeah, so yeah. are you applying that you need acting skills for DevRel? Like, like you're, you're, you have to act out like scenes from the code? Yeah, I mean, you got to fake it, right? No, 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 no. Mm. Uh, it's, so... Part of being in DevRel, of course, is uh, getting out and speaking at conferences about the industry trends and like, your software. And being an engaged speaker is kind of important so that people just don't fall asleep during your talks. And that combined with my tech background is really what led me into DevRel. It's it's the perfect, it's, it is the perfect job uh, for, for someone like me who's been embedded in engineering for years. You know, I had 15 years of engineering background before I came to Google and then acting on top of that, it was like the dream job for me. I'm like, wait, you're going to pay me to go stand on a stage. Like I'm still acting, but now I get to talk about cool engineering things. Yeah. Sign me up. Um, and that's, that's what happened is they brought me in. So Greg Wilson was the director of advocacy, uh, at the, at when I was doing the interviewing and he, they, he's the closer. Like they call him in when they, uh... they want to bring someone in and they really want someone for DevRel. He's the one that you talked to. And sure enough, he brought me into the San Francisco office, uh, slapped me up on the seventh floor where it's it's the it's the roof deck overlooking the bay. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, okay, I get to work here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was me. Yeah. That was that's what brought me into Deborah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, so you got you got wined and dined to like, you know, come here, come come with us. I did. It was like, awesome. join us. Uh yeah, that, that's always good to feel wanted. Um, you know, in that regard. But it's interesting. You said something that I I, I keyed out up on, you know, and it was you were doing DevRel before DevRel was a thing. And so I, I talked to a lot of people in the open source space, a lot of people in the community space, a lot of people in DevRel. And it's so interesting because it's like, we're doing this new thing. It's called DevRel. Yeah. And it's like, so what are you doing? We're showing yep. users how to use our software. Because <laughs> that's what are, new. Wait, no, no, it's yeah, not. What did, we, what, what did we do like 10 years ago? What did we yeah. do like 15 years ago? No, of course we did it. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting. And, and I, I like to kind of say that that now in a DevRel space, um, or even in like, you know, it, it kind of crosses boundaries sometimes into the, you know, quote unquote community slash DevRel slash, you know, it's kind of all the same thing in a lot of companies, but it's really weird because we're starting to see more small companies say, ah, we need DevRel, not yeah. marketing, yeah but then they turn it into marketing. Which is, which is awful. I mean, you're, you're losing out on what I feel like makes DevRel the special thing. There's developer marketing, and that is huge. And you need to have developer marketing. That's, you know, the, this question comes up all the time. Like, okay, what's the difference between marketing, core marketing, developer marketing, and DevRel? Like, what's the big difference between those, those, those things? And it's like, okay, core marketing is going after the business. It, this is how I define it. This is obviously not, not how, like, canonical, but it's how I think about it. So core marketing goes after the business side of things. 
developer marketing is still marketing, but it goes after you at home, like you on kind of your off time. Like, oh, that's interesting. I should play with that. Uh, and like engaging that mind of kind of like um, still, still, I hesitate to use the word, but evangelizing, kind of evangelizing your company's products. DevRel is about the core, everything about DevRel is help developers be successful using your stuff. And sometimes that means telling them not to use your stuff. And, you know, I, I can hear my marketing people go, don't do that, please. Always tell them, no. Yeah. The reality is, is that our job is to make sure that the developer's needs are met. And that's the big difference. And that if you're just marketing, like, you know, most of my job these days, honestly, like I have not done a huge amount of outside facing work. I haven't done a, like a large volume of blog posts. I haven't actually spoken to conferences because pandemic. So I don't actually do a lot of outward facing stuff right now. I'm engaged in communities and I'm getting feedback from developers and talking to them about how they use our stuff. But most of my job right now is actually talking to the product team and giving that developer voice to the product team and saying, look, I know you think you know how your database is being used, but I got to tell you, like that's, that's not how databases are being used right now. This is what people are doing. This is what people are having trouble with. Here is how we can make your product better for developers to use. And some product managers already have that sense. And that's a really easy conversation. Like, oh, no, you're right. We didn't think about that. And other times they're like, yeah, I don't ever talk to developers, I like directly. So they don't have that perspective. They're so used to you know, business stuff and that, you know, our new, the new product we launched, AliDB, it's really aimed at enterprise level users. And as a result of that, the people that are in charge of developing the product are very business oriented. They're very much thinking about these enterprise class users, which is great. And that should be for a product like this, but there are, there are tweaks that can and have been made to help the, the smaller companies or the, um, you know, the, the companies that maybe aren't used to thinking as this large enterprise class, you know, great system. Um, there are things that we can do to still make it for both. And that's, that's where DevRel sits. That's the beautiful place for DevRel. Yeah. And so this is where it's, it's a, it's a super interesting thing. And, you, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned, you know, the difference between developer marketing and DevRel in a lot of small companies, it's kind of a combined role, which is cool, but you tend to gravitate towards one or the other and you miss out completely on the other. Right. So, sure. you know, I, I like to say, you know, anything that I'm going to do about educating, it starts with a story. I want to tell a story um, that, that can kind of capture what, you know, developers or people are trying to do, and then I'll show them how to do it. Yep. Um, and you know, that story type is a lot of the developer marketing side of things and having that cohesive thing. And then you go into that, let's show you how to be successful. Let me, you know, get into the weeds. Um, but you, you tend to find people who tell the story and then do nothing else or, tell you how to use it and then don't tell you a story. And then everyone's like, why should I use your product? I yeah. don't understand. Yeah, yeah. It's great that you're showing me how to build this node app, but I don't care. Right. Like, you know, I, I have node already running. Why am I using your stuff? Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that kind of, you know, uh, place we're at in the DevRel space makes it a, a really weird and awkward time um, because many of us are trying to help, you know, the, the end users. Um, and they're really confused because, you know, as they jump between technology, sometimes they pick up 
bits and pieces of, of individual uh, things. And other times they, you know, get the whole story. Sometimes they don't. And I think it does make it a little more difficult as you're trying to navigate because no developer just uses one tool. They're going to use like 15 and they're all going to have to integrate and they're all going to have to work together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those really interesting spaces. And I think a lot of people, um, end up getting it wrong, um, and, and, and try to cut corners. Right. Yeah. And, so. and something that you said, which, which really resonated, which was the, um, you know, developers use lots of products and lots of tools and getting their work together. That's key, right? Like that, yeah. as we think about how we tell our stories, product teams are often incentivized for their product. Not necessarily to make it easier to use their product with other things. That's kind of a secondary goal. And it still matters, right? Absolutely. Like you want your product to be easy to use with other products. But a lot of the times at, at some companies, you end up having a situation where the product team is so focused on their product, they lose sight of how easy is it to use my product with other things. And that's, again, that's right where the sweet spot for DevRel is like, yeah, we can link them up and... Before products go out, we do a lot of what's called friction logging, um, which is we basically are, you know, developer zero um, and we'll try out a new product. We'll try out new features. And right. a lot of that revolves around, can I use this with some other product? Are there rough edges? And can I feed that back to the product teams before outside folks get their hands on it? Right. Can we fix those kind of rough edges and smooth them out before it goes out so that people just have this nice, you know, hopefully smooth experience using it with other stuff? Uh, and that's, a, that's again, like DevRel sweet spot, right? Like sitting between products and helping helping write those stories about how things work together. Other teams do it too, right? It's not just DevRel um, off the top, like solution architects on the sales side of things. We have a, a role at Google called the solution architect. And they're focused on these kind of end to end, like how do you tie different products together to create an architecture, a reference architecture for whatever the customer is trying to do. And again, the slight tweak is that the solution architect is doing it for an opportunity, for a sales opportunity. And it serves both purposes. It helps people use the, the stuff together more easily, but the goal really is landing that opportunity. Whereas DevRel, again, like, yes, we care about money because Google pays our paychecks, but like, ultimately it's about the developer being able to create these things. That's that's what feeds us. That's our, that's our motivation. Yep, yep, no, totally. And I think that one of the nuances that is difficult probably for both of us, or, or I don't want to say it's difficult, maybe it's a unique challenge, is this, the, the, the stuff that we're really talking to folks about is the infrastructure. It's the plumbing, right? It's the database side of stuff, which isn't as cool as a lot of other applications, APIs, frameworks, everything else. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and I, 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 I talk to folks about, you know, new database products all the time, and they're like, we just want to capture developer, you know, mindshare. And it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, because honestly, you know, a lot of data, you know, a lot of developers don't really think database. No. Right. You know, um, it's, it's not top of mind. It's like 17 layers down. Um, now it's going to vary from, you know, person to person, like, you know, but a front end developer, you're probably never going to like the feature sets that I, I, I look at. I'm like, I don't think anybody's going to care about those. You know, right. Like, oh, great. Higher available, high availability. Yay. Woo! You know, fast yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, cool. it's important. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's important. It's absolutely important stuff. But like you said, not top of mind for a lot of developers. Yeah. 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 It's hard. So, I mean, it being 
being an advocate for databases, and when I started at Google, I wasn't on databases. They put me on, uh, I was on cloud IoT, which was super interesting, really easy to get wide reach because like everyone enjoys talking about the internet of things. Like that's just a fun yeah, yeah. topic. So getting reach for everything and like finding communities to talk to, super easy. Then I shifted to databases and I was like, oh, well, this is, this is different. Uh, and it's, it's just tactics, like setting my own expectations of, right. We get asked, um, you know, like, what do you measure success on? And what are the things that people like to say, do you, do you pay attention to the number of views or reads you get on your blogs or your YouTube videos? I'm like, I try not to, because if I focus too much on that, the, I'm looking at my video that might get, you know, on a really good video, tens of thousands of, of views is kind of the, the metric, you know, the, the range that we're talking. And then, you know, a friend of mine that's working on MLAI gets, you know, a million views on his next view. And it's like, oh, well, okay, that's a thing. But I have to keep coming back and thinking to myself, like, yes, I'm getting fewer views, but I am pretty sure that people that end up reading a blog post that I write or watch a video that I write genuinely care about the product or topic that I'm, I'm writing or, or talking about because... Most people aren't going to go randomly find a database video and go watch it. Like that's not going to be a thing. The people that go do that are the people I'm trying to reach, those technical practitioners that are doing the work. Whereas MLAI, like it's a pretty broad conversational topic. IoT, broad conversational topic. People want to know like, okay, what is my Google Home really doing? Yeah, of course they do. Developers and database folks it's a smaller audience, but it is a deeply passionate audience. Like you, yes. you know, it's yeah. it's fun talking to someone that wants to explore the deep inner workings of the buffer cache and Postgres. It's like, yeah, let's get in there, and it's fun. Like I, that passion balances out the the dopamine hit of getting you know a million views on something. Like that that passion is really cool to engage with and talk to people about. I love it. I love that. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, I think that that's that's the thing, right? And and I'm interested. You mentioned people ask you what you measure on, and they ask you if you measure views. You said no. You didn't tell us what you measure on. Yeah, because no one knows. Um, I say, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I came up with my own number, Matt's magic yeah. number. Yeah, and no one knows what it is, but it's cool. But it's okay, and it's going up into the right, so we're all good. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The it's hard. How you measure de developer advocacy is a as an industry wide problem, and it's you know I it's one of my interview questions when I interview someone. I, I'm probably going to ruin this. Uh, I can't ask this question anymore once I say this, but I that's a question that I ask candidates coming in. It's like, well, if you've been doing advocacy for a while, how do you measure your own success? And if they if they don't start with, I don't really know. That's usually a red flag for me because we don't. We have fuzzy metrics. We can tie ourselves to, you know, a lot of the times we will try and tie ourselves to what we call the active developer metric. It's a, you know, a, a rolling number of how many active developers you have on a product or something. And for a small company or a brand new product, as an advocate, I could probably move those numbers significantly enough that you could see a blip on a graph somewhere, right? Like I could throw an event, a, a, an on-hands workshop event, and after the event, if it's a small enough company, I totally will see an uptick of usage on whatever it is that I'm showing up. Yes. At a company like Google, though, like, how am I going to move the needle on a product that's been around? Like, you know, I work a lot in Cloud SQL, our, our managed stuff. And it's been around for years. It's got a very robust and healthy user base. How am I going to tie a single piece of content that I put out there to an uptick in usage? Like, I, it's just... 
So that's kind of a failed metric. So what do you judge by? Well, um, how happy are my product teams about the work that I do for them? And am I getting asked to, to speak? Those are kind of like my, my bar of, am I doing my job? Am I reaching communities enough that people are asking me to come out and do stuff? And that's my kind of external metric. An internal metric is, are my product teams happy? Am I, am I engaged with the right people within the product teams? Am I talking to the engineering folks about stuff they can improve? Am I talking to product marketing about mm, this note's not quite hitting it right with, I don't think this will hit the note right with developers. And are they happy with my contributions to their work? And it's a totally fuzzy metric, but that's for myself. That's how I judge is like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting because as I've talked with other folks in this space, a lot of them get pressured by management to get a number to show yeah. the growth, right? It doesn't matter what the number is. A lot of times it's just like, you know, but um, I always advise people to start with what's the ultimate outcome, you know, yeah. and obviously with Google, if, if you've got a million users, you know, and you get 10,000 extra users, the graph doesn't even register it, even though 10,000 users could be a good movement. And, but if, if you have a product that is just starting out going from a thousand users to 10,000 users, that's massive, right? Absolutely. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's easier to move early on and get that, you know, those bumps. Um, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, there is such a hyper focus on this. Um, I think people miss the forest through the trees because, you know, uh, a lot of growing the community, a lot of growing, you know, your, your, your fans, if you will, or the people who are using your products it's it's about you know the relationships that yeah. you build yeah and it's not not just a a one on one relationship you know it's it's how you do it in mass yeah it's um, the community relationship the yeah, yeah it's the community yeah. relationship absolutely it's one to many for sure well you know it's that without relationships none of our work does will do anything right if you're not trusted by if you don't have that solid relationship and trust with the community when you're out there talking about your product stuff, they're going to just read you as a shill. You're going to be like, yeah, just another marketing voice out here. But if you have been embedded in the community, if you've been in the trenches with them, right? Like if you've really contributed, then you have that trust of like, okay, if, if Gabe is telling us something about these databases, like I know Gabe, like he's been part of our community for a while. Like I can trust that if he tells us this thing is cool, it's probably pretty cool. Like I should at least take a look at it. And likewise, from the other side, that applies to the internal teams too. If I don't have a good relationship with my product manager and I come to them and I say, mm, this feature is just not going to land. Like we need to change up how this thing is done to make it land with the, with, the, with the customers and developers. If I don't have that relationship, why on earth would they listen to me? I'm not in charge of the product. I've got no power. I've got no say. Like they're, they're like, yeah, and I should listen to you. Why? Yeah. So it's 100%. Forging those relationships is, is a requirement of the job. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So as we talk about forging the relationships with folks and talking about the infrastructure side of things, I am curious, you know, you, you've been working in the database space now, you, you've, you've been talking with the end users, you've been engaging with them, building those relationships. What are you seeing as some of those trends in this space right now that um, you're tracking as, as you know, uh, the, the lead for the DevRel for databases, but also maybe, you know, as a company, Google's tracking, you know, like, hey, these are start, we're starting to see people wanting these types of things or exploring these types of databases. Yeah, totally. So open source is actually a huge, 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 huge trend in the database world. Um, the, you know, 
the companies like Oracle have dominated the database space for so long. And what has happened is people are just sick of vendor lock-in. It's, it is a constant problem, not just with database, with everything, but databases in particular, vendor lock-in is particularly egregious. It's like our IP, our data is stored in your thing and I can't leave your company. I'm completely subjected to your whim. Uh, and Google has made a lot of money on hosting open source, you know, managing open source products, you know, Cloud SQL, which is what I started in on, on my database journey, is hosted by SQL and Postgres and you know, SQL Server now, but when I started, it wasn't. And it was open source databases that Google just decides, you know, we will manage the database for you, which is great. And that trend carries through now to the industry. And we're seeing it particularly just in the last year or two, Postgres has just gone bananas which is great to see. Like I, Postgres has, has been kind of steadily gaining on MySQL for a long time, as far as, you know, an open source database to, uh, I guess, MariaDB, but gaining on it in terms of popularity. And it's it's going crazy now. And it's it's fun because that opens the door for, you know, what our our new product that we just, just put out, you know, AliDB is at its core, it's Postgres. You know, we've done stuff to it and we've built on it and we've, we've, we've added a bunch of stuff, but, the compatibility between the two, what that means is that we are we we get to participate in this trend in the industry, which is the open source adoption uh, of saying like, yeah, you're using Postgres because it's a great open source interface. Fantastic. Bring it to the cloud. So you get to leverage all the power. So I should back up. Moving to the cloud is a trend that's been happening for the last, uh, I'd say, five to 10 years uh, on the data side of things. You know, we're not seeing net new projects done locally hardly at all anymore. It's like, it's just an understood thing that if you're going to have lots of data, you're going to put it in the cloud because managing the infrastructure locally is such a pain. Why do that? Like it's, it's a cost effective measure now to just use the cloud. So trend one, moving to the cloud, that's been going for, for a while now. And then trend two is this adoption of open source as a, uh, an open interface to all of the things that I want to do with my application. That is is key and I love it. I love the fact that open source is getting its day in, in a in the cloud way. It, it's you know open source has always had its day. It's it's popular, but seeing it in the cloud is a lot of fun and I and I love it. And you know I I my only regret is that I don't have more opportunity on my own time and energy to contribute directly. And like I you know I would love to go back and contribute more to Postgres, but uh, time time is a thing. But yeah, so those are the trends that I'm seeing. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because one of, and I'll, I'll, I'll slip back to the DevRelly community side for just a second. When you say you'd, you'd love to contribute more, the fact of the matter is just by having conversations like this, you are. True. Um, and, true, true. And I think that, you know, one of the things I like to point out to everyone who's listening um, out there in, 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 in video land, in YouTube land, everywhere else, um, you know, is a lot of open source projects the some of the best things you can do is provide feedback yeah like you know share your experience share your knowledge um and i think that that is you know really key and um you know you you, you know you, you didn't ask me but i'll i'll say you know like what is the thing i look at measuring uh in the devrel space i look at the number of people that i've enabled to become advocates of open source or of the products true right yeah, yeah. um because it's not about like i can have one person me doing it but that's boxed with whatever time and effort I can put in. But if I can, you know, get a thousand people 
you know, you know, really excited and engaged, then that's awesome. How do you scale it? Um, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, so, so when you talk about like, you know, that, that ecosystem, you know, I, I think that it's really important for people in the open source ecosystem to realize that you don't need to be a C programmer to contribute. Right. Um, and there is so much that you can do. And, you know, when you talk about the cloud, people feel a little powerless sometimes in like their contributions in the cloud side, because they're like, oh, it's, you know, as a service, it's behind some, you know, you know, weird, you know, firewally thing that I can't get through. I don't see the code ever. And it's like, just because you're using Postgres, MySQL, Maria, whatever, on a cloud platform doesn't mean you can't contribute to that ecosystem. That's right. Right. Um, a lot of it is, how do you show people how to do HA? How do you show people how to, you know, build a, a better app or take advantage of those components, those Lego blocks? Yeah. And build them together into something that 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 solves a, a really innovative solution. And those contributions, I would, I, I think, are way more impactful long term than even the code can be. That's fair. No, absolutely. And 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 I should, of course, then caveat my statement, which was, I wish I could contribute code back to the community because that's right. Like that's my background. Is yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm an engineer. So that's you're absolutely you're 100 correct. That like yes, of course, we contribute by by getting out, talking about how to use this stuff, and and just. I'm going to use a very markety term because it's it kind of fits, which is democratizing the 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 open source product, which is make it accessible to as many people as possible, and Absolutely. that's that's a huge impact and huge contribution. I just miss coding a lot of the times, like like you know there okay. there are okay. parts of me that miss. I miss C. I love managing memory at a like micro level, and people look at me funny. It's like, but that's where I started. I love doing that. Ah, nostalgia. Yeah, nostalgia. exactly. Yes, maybe we can insert some nostalgic music here. You know, That's right. Um, in this section. <laughs> note to editors. Um, yes, note to editors. Uh, but no, no, um, you, you mentioned Postgres's growth and, and how it's kind of gone bonkers the last few years. Um, and, and I'm curious, I have some theories on that, but I'd love to hear your theories on that. Um, why do you think it's become so popular? That's a really good question. And I don't, I, I don't think I have a great <laughs> answer for that. Uh, you know, for a long time, the the MySQL versus Postgres is kind of one of the great religious debates of the database world. It's like, okay, which do you use? Well, this is better at this and that's better at that. I think, honestly, for me, Postgres, <sighs> MySQL, at least for me, always has a small taste of that Oracle uh, from the, the foundational piece of it. There is still a mental link between it and the man and, and sort of the, you know, the, the big 800 pound gorilla of the database world. I don't know how much that actually contributes to Postgres's popularity in terms of, uh, of adoption and stuff, but at least for me, when I'm thinking about then of like, okay, what is the truly open source database? And in my mind, I think I lean a little bit more Postgres than I do my SQL for that reason. I don't know if that's, it's not really grounded mm -hmm. in reality, but it's, it, that's a gut check. It's a total gut check. Well, there are um, a lot of people who are just like, I don't want to use anything that's associated with Oracle. Uh, sure. But I think, I think you know, from a MySQL perspective, um, it still has a massive install base. It's just not growing that much, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I think that there was a lot of adoption early on. And as, um, you know, new databases kind of got pushed out into the ecosystem, I think some of the, the, the growth was kind of sucked away, but still a very awesome, popular database. But from a Postgres perspective, the things that I, I kind of see is we've entered a new phase in the open source space where 
Um, a lot of the new projects that we're developing are built on the shoulders of giants mm -hmm. in that they take code or they take, you know, frameworks or APIs from other open source projects and combine them and build something even better. Right. Uh, and, and I mean, we've done that for a while. I mean, if you if you think about like Elastic, Elastic was started with Lucene, right? You know, so right. you know, you, you get kind of like this, like, you, you know, yeah, you, you start with something, you make it better, you, you, you play around the code. Postgres is the only database that is really, truly open and run by kind of a, a, a community. It doesn't have a single corporate kind of backer, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which means that you are you have an insanely liberal license and you have a lot of ability to influence the project. Um, but I think it also means that as companies are developing their new applications, you know, their new programs, their new, their new databases, you know, what do you, you look at like cockroach or Yugabyte or, you know, like, you know, uh, other databases they are like Postgres is the natural place because I can use a, uh, infrastructure, uh, a framework that already exists yeah. and is popular and I can use it and make it compatible, make it, you know, work together. And, you know, that's awesome. Right. And yeah. so we can, we can, we can work together. And the Postgres community is very open about that. I was just talking with Bruce uh, Mamjama not, not too long ago. And he was like, we welcome this because, you know, the more people who are using Postgres libraries, using Postgres APIs, the better it makes the ecosystem. So yeah. I, I think it's that kind of like synergistic, another marketing word, yeah, or yeah, yeah. A symbiotic uh, relationship. <laughs> uh, ooh, two marketing words. Uh -oh, uh -oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting a little marketing here. Um, but welcoming. You know, I, uh, it's welcoming, yeah, yeah, right? Like at welcoming. the end of the day, it's really like, it's about being, it's about welcoming people into collaborating. It's that yes. it's that openness. And I, you're right. I, I think, and I don't know if I was kind of like either subconsciously kind of picking up on that because of like, you know, the corporate backing for MySQL or if it's, but you're right. You're absolutely right. The community is, it's just nice. It's just nice. Yeah. Like it, that's, yeah, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you work with nice people. And that's, yeah. and I, I think that's, <laughs> I don't want to distill Postgres down. It's like, I use it because it's nice, but it kind of is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very yeah, that's nice. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I, I, like, <laughs> I like most of the, I like everybody in the ecosystem, right? Um, but th this leads to innovation and, you know, not only the adoption of Postgres, but it also leads to, you know, new and expansive use cases. And this is where, from, from a Google perspective, uh, you all just announced Alloy DB. Yep. Um, which is um, part of that Postgres ecosystem. Absolutely. Uh, so, so maybe for those who may have not seen the announcement, can you give us the 10,000 foot, what the heck is Alloy? Yeah. So AlloyDB is um, a Postgres compatible database engine. That's the, that's the key um, that scales up. It scales up hugely and can handle the sort of the sort of workloads that you would normally have to put onto a big commercial database. That's the goal is to create a commercial grade database that is using Postgres as its interface. That's it. All of the rest is just implementation details. But that was the that was the core motivation behind it was, you know, because we have Cloud SQL. Cloud SQL is um, Postgres on Cloud SQL is an amazing product. It's great. It takes away all of the boilerplate. Um, management that you need to do. But if you want to get scale out of Cloud SQL, you have to do it on your own. You have to set up the, the replication. You have to set up the load balancing. You have to do all of those pieces. And for Postgres, you know, one of the biggest pain points for Postgres 
is when you get up at scale with Postgres, vacuuming becomes a huge problem. And if folks don't know, vacuuming is kind of the garbage cleanup for Postgres. Was when, when you delete rows, they don't really go away. It waits until you vacuum to get rid of that stuff. And if you've got a high enough churn on your database, enough, enough workload on there, vacuuming becomes a real problem. Like you can really hammer your database if you do it wrong. LADB automates a lot of that. You know, it handles with, with, you know, Google has kind of woven in machine learning into the core of AlloyDB, where it will figure out when the best time to do your vacuuming is and what the best way of doing it. And there's, you know, it does the same thing for the memory management. So you're partitioning and all of the, you know, that kind of stuff. It handles the next level of boilerplate kind of infrastructure stuff that you would have to do if you're scaling your database. So it's sort of started from this place of, um, the, uh, of the Postgres database itself, and it's starting to take away the pain points of using it at scale. That's the that's the goal of AlloyDB. Well, and yeah, and, and Postgres is is great out of the box. It it is a great general you know purpose you know database. You it's very extensible. Yep. Um. You know, and you know, we've seen that other companies have picked up on this as well, where it's like you know, oh, from a scale perspective. Postgres scales really well, single machine up to a certain size, you know, it, it handles, you know, workloads. Um, it can be tweaked and tuned and, and augmented, but, you know, once you start to get at a certain size, a certain scale, then, you know, you start to look at alternative measures, measures whether that is, you know, uh, systems that do sharding, whether that's systems that do, you know, um, you know, other clustering software, uh, read, write splitting, all kinds of, you know, fun, exciting topics that you do in relational database land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so a lot of people are, are looking at, you know, hey, from an, a developer perspective, they don't really care about that. They just want it to work, yeah. right? They want it fast, available, and secure. And that's hard. It's that, then it's and it's hard to do that, right? And at scale, yeah. that's, a, that's a hard accomplishment. That's really, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and, I, you know, I was super skeptical uh, about AlloyDB. When, it first, when I first heard about it internally and we were first talking about it, I went, you're doing what now? Really? Yeah, okay. Um, and that come that can came from my sentimentality around Cloud SQL and like, look, we can throw Cloud SQL at a monstrously large machine. Uh, you know, in the cloud, like we have these machines that are terabytes of, of memory and just like absurd numbers of, of CPUs. And I'm kind of thinking like, okay, what kind of a workload needs to scale past that? Like, is there really a need in the market to scale past this monstrously vertical scaled machine that we can throw out? And the answer is a hundred percent yes. Cause there's some, there's some things that it doesn't matter how big your machine is, you're still gonna cripple the database. Cause it doesn't matter how big your CPUs and your memory are, you're still gonna have a problem with table locks and, and you know, read locking and stuff. There, there's always a case to need to scale out uh, rather than just scale up, it, it's it's always a thing. So yes, you know the the answer to that, and they won me over. The product team actually won me over uh, internally, and uh, not I'm I'm happy I'm working on it. So I just have like this picture in my mind of you like coming into the conference room, sitting down your coffee, crossing your arms, and go convince me that I should use this. I kind of did uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I mean, not quite. I don't drink coffee, so it wasn't coffee, but yeah, okay. I mean, it was it was talking to the product team and being like, look. I'm your developer audience. If you can't convince me that this is going to land, how on earth am I going to help talk to uh, developers about, you know, practitioners about this? 
I need to understand what deeply this thing is is solving for for those folks. And they did. And, you know, we had long conversations about that. And it's more complicated even than that, because then we got into like, okay, now how do we actually tell developers which one to use? Should they use Cloud SQL? Should they use AlloyDB? And we've got, you know, there's Spanner, which is our our cat breaking database, the unicorn, uh, was like, okay, well, there's Spanner too, and it scales super huge and it's relational. Like, shouldn't we just tell people to use Spanner? And so there was a lot of internal discussion that we had of like, look, there are very, you know, the product teams knew, like they knew why one versus the other, but communicating that in a way that actually made sense to people using these databases was a much harder problem. That was really, mm -hmm. it was a big challenge for us. And we've got these huge internal documents that have a bajillion revisions now about talking about it ad nauseum, which is great because what that does is it forces them to really think about this stuff with the implementations. Like, okay, why, what problems does this really solve? Like we know we think it solves, right? It, 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 we think it solves the large scale workload problem for Postgres users. But does it really? And that those conversations were absolutely what crystallized that for all of us internally. And it's ultimately what convinced me as part of the team. So now I can go out and talk about it and do, not feel like I'm a shill. So do you have like, you, you know, you mentioned that kind of like it took lots of documentation, really long, you know, docs to, to kind of figure out like where each of these products. Is there a visualization somewhere that someone could go and like be like, Okay, I'm gonna use this for this type of application, this for that type of application, this for that type of application. It's like an easy to use type of thing yet? Not yet. This I, honestly, that's what we're actively working on now oh, is now good. creating. Please, the, Gabe, give yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I it's it we have it in words, right? Like okay. it is in words, it's in the documentation that that describes it. So it is there. But there is not yet the easy to use visualizations. Visualizations are really hard, like getting good ones. Um, a team out of mine, Priyanka, has done a series of, they, they're kind of like almost in the comic book style, but they're kind of pretty in-depth topics around cloud and stuff. And one of the ones that she did was, um, you know, where do I store my stuff is kind of the topic of the comic. And it's, it's fantastic. Uh, oh, good. And it has all of our database products on there about, and it, and it does a pretty good job of that. We just haven't updated it yet for AlloyDB. It's funny that a, a tweet, was it yesterday? It might've been yesterday or the day before, literally just came out about it. And I, I tweeted back, hey, like we should totally update this for AlloyDB. And she said, yeah, we totally should. So it's, you know, it's top of mind for us to have this easy to digest graphic. And we have it for most of our databases. It just hasn't woven AlloyDB into it yet. That's, that's on, our, on our plate to do. So the the most important question that comes out of you know what you just said is uh, did they make you into a superhero in the comic? <laughs> Sadly, no. Uh, I I don't appear anywhere in the comics. So the the heroes are the products. Ultimately, that's the we're side we're all sidekicks. Advocates are total sidekicks. The the yeah, heroes. Yeah, but, but you still you st okay okay. But they can still put you in the comic as a sidekick. I know. You know. I should talk to Priyanka about that. Priyanka, we should make a yes. comic with. Actually, that would be kind of fun. That would yeah, be fun. Yeah. Like right. proper superhero style comics yeah. about the ad. You can make me the villain. I'll be the villain. Ah, I don't, I'll, be, I'll, too... I'll, be, I'll be I'll be like, I'll be like, you know, anti-performance man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to destroy your performance. All right. Not only great. that, we're going to, we're going to guess it. I want to do, um, you know, the old serial style radio shows. If we, if we oh, do that, I'm going to call oh, you in as, as our villain. Yes, please do.
Okay. I, do, I can do voices. I'll, I'll, I'll do voices. I'll, nice. I'll figure something out. All right. Yeah. All my people call your people. Super awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, so Gabe, uh, you know, how the hell like you be, you know, one of the things that I saw just, I think yesterday, actually, yes, yesterday was, um, you know, some of the infrastructure came out that it, it's actually a column database. Yeah. At its well, core, which is ish, right? So it's still ish. Postgres. It's still Postgres, hundred okay. percent. It's still Postgres. But like you said, the the blog post that came out was um, going into a lot of the details of what we call the columnar engine. Uh, it's and <sighs> the columnar engine is a lot of things. The kind of the core piece that that I like to talk about it is it 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 layers an extra memory cache is what it does. So as you're doing your stuff in in Postgres, it is taking the standard buffer cache that it's got and it's rearranging it on writes to then arrange the data into a columnar format. And that's, you know, for, for folks that don't spend their, their day to day pondering what that actually means, what it, what it does is it allows you to take the data that's coming through and rearrange it in a way that is optimal to re-retrieve aggregate information. So in kind of common parlance, it makes reads easier. It makes it faster in memory because it leverages the the way that memory works is optimized for arrays. Array values <laughs> is what you know CPU memory CPU and memory is optimized to iterate over is arrays. Well, when you've got a standard buffer cache for Postgres, it is basically taking a snapshot of your disk data, the row-based data, and moving it into memory, which is absolutely faster. Your memory can access it quicker, but it's not optimized for the memory by rearranging the data into columns or arrays, if you will, that now further optimizes for the way that memory functions at its core. And you can get a lot of extra performance out of just that. Now, the, the engine, um, I don't, I don't want to go, there's the blog post. If you want to go in deep, you can read the blog post about kind of Fair what enough. the full spam we'll it sure is. sure to but, put it in the link uh, as well here. Yeah, yeah. But that's the, that's the key of having this columnar store in memory, in addition to your buffer cache, really, it, it, I, we don't, I think we don't actually call it this in any of our marketing materials, but it basically turns Postgres into an HTAP, which is I know, that, that hybrid transa transactional application is it's, um, it makes it so much more performant for that analytic or read style traffic. Uh, that's, that's a lot of the core gains that we get out of this it's it's fun and that honestly this was one of the things that kind of convinced me that we have some legit technology behind alloy db uh you know there's more but like this was my turning point in my journey of being won over by alloy db was oh we really kind of fundamentally changed the way the data access happens for postgres without affecting the basic compatibility and interface to Postgres. That's really cool. Like that is a genuinely oh, yeah. awesome thing that we are able to do that. Like that, so yeah, I, now it's just like, okay, people that know that, it's fun watching the community start to pick up on it. Uh, you know, on the, the day and the couple of days after we launched, we had all kinds of people like BI folks coming out of the woodwork, like <gasps> I can use this for BI and running benchmarks against like, full-on analytic database, you know, data warehouses. I'm like, well, I mm, mm, uh, mm. there's still, <laughs> I, okay, that's not quite what we were intending, but it's interesting that you went there. Because um, it's, a, I want to, you know, for, for your listeners, I want to emphasize that it is not 
going to have the same kind of performance as a proper OLAP, like, you know, warehouse. Um, it's not designed as that, but what it does, the goal is it just opens up use cases where you might have to try to create some kind of hybrid. Well, all right, I've got my operational transactional over here. And anytime I want to do heavy reads, I've got to, okay, I've got to create a pipeline over to like a big query or, you know, a snowflake or something like that. Like let's capture those folks where mm -hmm. you don't have to expand your tech stack into all these multiple places. Let's just make it better. Let's, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if we hit that yeah. mark. Fair enough. So Gabe, um, I've started this the last few months uh, with my guests. I, I like to end with the rapid fire round of just oh. random questions that come out of nowhere. So <laughs> I have no idea what questions are going to pop into my head next. I'm ready. So are, are you ready for it? Okay. It's like stream of consciousness. Like any, it's a it total stream of consciousness. Yes. Yes. I love it. So, so if, if you had to become a villain in a movie or comic book or book, which villain would you become? Magneto. Magneto. Why? And I don't Magneto. even know why. It's just the first, it's honestly the first thing that popped in my head. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. okay. That's okay. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. So, so, you know, cool. So if, if we're to meet up at a conference and we're to go out to dinner, what are you going to order? Sushi. Sushi. Okay. Oh my God. So yeah. Yes. 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 And so, you know, you mentioned that you don't drink coffee, but is there a drink of choice to drink with the sushi or after the sushi or in lieu of like breakfast or something. Sadly, water is my, my first choice, but if I am getting sushi, sake will be involved. Okay. Okay. Sake will be involved. There you go. There you go. And so what is the last book that you read? Uh, I reread the Martian recently. Oh, Anywhere yes. but the Martian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it is yeah. a favorite. I read it a lot. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, he has a lot of great books. Love um, all of them. Um, you know, so I, I think I just read Artemis. Was it Artemis? Uh huh. Yeah, the, the one that came out right after Martian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, have you read Project book. Hail Mary? Yeah, I did. Yes. Okay, good. Yes, good, yes, good. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's 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 a great one too. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Um, and so, uh, what is your favorite TV show or movie of all time? And you can say one that you actually were in if you want, even if we've never. Heard of it. <laughs> uh, no, nothing I was in. Um, the Princess Bride is probably my favorite oh, movie. Oh, um, yes, that it, yes. and book like those, those that they're both amazing in their own right. So I think for movie Princess Bride TV show, boy, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite TV show. That's like asking an author what their favorite book is. Like I, I have a hard time with that. That's um, okay. That's okay. Movie Princess was Bride, Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Princess Bride is is the pinnacle of awesomeness. So it is okay. <laughs> I will end it there. I Sweet. mean, actually, my, my my favorite line from that is um, when when uh, Wesley is is telling uh, Buttercup, you know, like you know about his time on the you know with the Dread Pirate Roberts. You know, good job, Wesley. You know, um, well done. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that line. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it just sticks with me all the time. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, so great movie, great movie. Gabe, thank you for coming out, hanging out with us. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge on the DevRel space around uh, what Google's doing with AlloyDB and in the database space in general. It's it's always awesome to chat. Absolutely, thanks for having me. I I love doing this stuff. It's is this this is part of my this is one of my favorite parts of this job is getting to do stuff like this. 
Awesome. Awesome. And for those who are watching, go ahead, like, subscribe, leave a comment, say, you know, that Gabe is wrong. He shouldn't be Magneto. He should be someone else. <laughs> Feel free to put in your favorite movie or your favorite quote from The Princess Bride. We would love to hear from it. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.